0: and welcome along to the Transformation podcast for Colson Hall. I'm Harriet Robinson, a Bristol local, a journalist and a massive music fan. Now this is the series with an Access All Areas lanyard that gets you behind the scenes of the biggest development in Bristol's music landscape. In previous episodes, we've caught up with players and protagonists behind the most important aspects of the transformation, such as preserving the venue's famous acoustics and the future direction of the hall, including its high-profile name change. In this latest edition, we're going to tackle a subject that's no less emotive, and that's the subject of accessibility, physical, cultural and social. Determined to promote inclusion across the industry, when the venue reopens in 2020 it will boast three fully accessible performance spaces, plus an education and studio complex which will act as a base for the NCIE, the National Centre of Inclusive Excellence.
1: Music and the arts hasn't fulfilled its potential. You cannot have fully realised art form without a completely diverse input into the creative process.
2: It's just exciting that Bristol pays music and Colston Hall have got the gumption and the determination to try and achieve this. And it could change the whole outlook of music.
3: The old order will not stand anymore. We can't have any more of that. We need to move forward into the light. And why would we profligately miss out on potentially millions of talented people just because they make their music or they move or they operate in a slightly different way from the rest of us? That's just, to me, is
0: nuts. On the way, I'll be talking to the ever-inspiring conductor and broadcaster, Charles Hazelwood, and I'll also get some design insights from the project architect, Mark Lewis. Now, the audiophiles amongst you will have noticed a change in acoustic, and that's because I'm talking to you from the bowels of the Colston Hall. It's basically, I guess, like a huge wine cellar times by about ten. Very dusty, but about to be transformed into something beautiful, I'm sure. I'm here with Siggy Patchett, who's the head of the National Centre for Inclusive Excellence at Bristol Music Trust. Now, I know this isn't where they keep you, Siggy, but why are we meeting you in these grubby cellars?
1: This is going to be the third venue at at what will... Futurely, formerly be known as Carlston Hall. So this is this space that we're in now is going to have another venue. It's going to be about 200 capacity. There's going to be studios, education spaces. So the whole, everything you see now will be completely transformed. Glass paneled off studios and rehearsal spaces. Going to be awesome.
0: You said that we've got a chance to redefine excellence so that it excludes no one. So how are you guys going to realise this dream?
1: With the support of. Some incredible people that we've got to know and worked with over the the last sort of five, six years that we've been developing the work that we're doing at the National Centre, we define excellence as someone's ability to fulfil their potential. So for music, that's, for us, their creative and expressive potential. Now, that means that um, anybody that's currently being held back from doing that is someone that we want to work with, and we want to find new ways of working with people and look at ways that have been successful at working with people that have to overcome barriers to fulfil their potential. And that goes for the Trust as a whole. You know, We're talking about audiences for our shows, artists that are coming to perform, and we're talking about children and young people all the way up to adults that, that are engaging with music on any level. Music is something that everybody should be able to enjoy for the whole of their lives, whether as a performer or an audience member or as a participant, and that's what we're all about.
0: Why are there still such big barriers, though, if you've got a special educational need or a disability? Why why are they still there?
1: We're in the business of working with the people that need the most support to achieve their potential. So what frustrates me is that music and the arts hasn't fulfilled its potential. You cannot have a fully realised art form without a completely diverse input into the creative process. And there's too many people that are prevented from doing that at the moment for music to fulfil its potential. It is about social justice. It really is. That's at its heart but it's also about the arts and music and how we want it to be as good as it can be.
0: And we're talking about access to education here, but of course you also need to have access to the building, physical access, don't you?
1: People and place are equally important, and to have a space that is well-equipped, that people know about, that's accessible, that's welcoming, is essential. Um, There's no point having a brilliant programme if the whole section of society can't attend it or doesn't know about it or doesn't feel welcome in it it's not inclusive we've done um, an awful lot over the last few years uh, led by the customer service team uh, working with attitude is everything to work towards their standards of best practice in terms of our organizational approach and our understanding and our awareness of people's different needs we have an access register so people can talk to us about what their needs are and there is so far for organisations like us to to go it's a really exciting journey but it's also really, really urgent that we get on it and that's why the the transformation of the Hall the National Centre for Inclusive Excellence are their Bristol Music Trust way of doing that
0: Thanks Siggy now let's get some idea of what's involved when it comes to designing a truly accessible space let's go somewhere else first because there's a few too many spiders down here I'm back in the main auditorium of Colston Hall and I'm joined by Levitt Bernstein architect Mark Lewis. He's the man in charge of the redesign of the hall. Now Mark, can you just talk me through the main hurdles as you see them when it comes to making Colston Hall fully accessible?
4: The main hall dates from 1951. Accessibility wasn't very high on the agenda back then, so we're proposing to uh, take out the existing balconies with their steppings. They've got very uh, tight space for audiences. they are very few dedicated wheelchair spaces in the current hall. But in the new hall, we will have a wide range of options for people in wheelchairs to sit. We've also got seats of different widths and seatways of different widths to make them more accessible. And then backstage, again, even today, there are no uh, accessible facilities backstage. Performers can't get onto the stage or even into the dressing rooms particularly (laughs) easily. So that will all be addressed in the new scheme. There'll be level access to the stage. We've got Dressing rooms at stage level with accessible facilities. And basically we're improving connectivity between all levels and all parts of the building in the new scheme, taking out a lot of the 19th century and 1950s level changes and making it flat.
0: And do you think that we can learn from any other historic buildings that have tackled the same issues as, as here?
4: You do have to be quite creative. One of the things about listed buildings and historic buildings is that certain parts of them you know, can be sacrosanct and you're just not permitted to change them if they're considered to be significant parts of the listed building. And for us here at Colston, it, it was the amazing 19th century Byzantine-style facade. The arrangement of steps there were considered so integral to the architecture of the building and the history of the building, denoting the original entrance that, We were just not permitted to change those entrance steps. So we had to think of another way round of providing access into what will be the restaurants on the ground floor. And so what we're proposing to do is to make a new entrance in the end wall of that building, which is accessed from the forecourt in front of the foyer building. So we've kind of bypassed what was the historic entrance with all the steps, created a new level entrance with a, a platform lift indoors to get up to the restaurant level. And then that kind of led to the whole layout of the restaurants and that area then becomes a kind of quiet dining area looking out over the street and you get kind of uninterrupted views in and out and you're not cluttering up the pavement which could be quite busy, people coming and going. So the sort of constraints of the heritage actually led to a different approach to how we would actually complete the whole design of that area and make it work for everybody, for all the customers with a a single entrance.
0: Now we're talking about accessibility, so what's the most exciting bit of design that you're across?
4: We've been working with a seating manufacturer over some flexible seating positions and we're using proper comfortable auditorium concert chairs, but they'll be on wheels and removable in blocks of two. So that gives us a lot of flexibility in the stalls and on the cross aisle where the staff can quickly and easily take out seating and create more space for people in wheelchairs if they need it. I don't think that's anything that's been used very frequently in the UK it's quite common in Europe I think it'd be one of the first uses here so it helps the hall with management because they can move things around quickly and it creates a lot of flexibility in terms of the seating layout for all kinds of different people who might use it whatever sort of size of wheelchairs they might come in they can be accommodated Mm. that's pretty innovative I'd say.
0: Thanks, Mark. Some great insider info there about the architecture of a genuinely accessible space. But what's the true impact of these designs on disabled artists and audiences? Well, I'm joined now on stage of a very deconstructed and empty Colson Hall by Charles Hazelwood, who's the founder of the British Power Orchestra. Based right here in Bristol, it's the world's only large-scale ensemble for professional disabled musicians but simply getting on stage for your musicians can be a problem, can't it?
3: It's a massive problem, yeah, and Colston Hall is by no means alone in this. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it that Britain is fairly enlightened in its attitudes towards disability compared to many countries in the world, and yet there's still an overwhelming number of concert halls up and down the country where if you use a wheelchair, you can't really get on the stage. There's still enormous mountains to climb, but it's halls like Colston Hall with their massive and fantastic commitment... To putting access and integration right at the front of their wish list as they rebuild this hall they're leading the way, they're leading the charge and I'm sure where they lead many other halls will follow
0: What ambitions have you got for driving forward music um, participation for the disabled?
3: Well, I mean, many and various. The power orchestra exists as a kind of sentinel, as a kind of wake-up call, really. Because, of course, you see, the fact remains, this sounds like a grim thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Most people in the UK, and I'm talking about liberal-minded, intelligent, educated people, still find it difficult to put the words excellence and disability in the same sentence, even though, if you like, in sport, people don't watch the Paralympics because it's about some poor wannabe disabled athletes getting out of the house for the day. No, they watch it because it's world-class sport. And what the power orchestra seeks to prove in music is that that's absolutely the same here. It's a level playing field, and in fact, the disabled community of musicians have so much to bring and to share and to teach the able-bodied world. Um, they just need to be seen and heard for what they are, which is bloody amazing.
0: People used to see it as you know, it's a therapeutic thing and disabled musicians are just coming together for a bit of therapy. When actually, they're just musicians and they want to be able to play.
3: Exactly. And I think, actually, if if I'm honest, some of the earliest gigs we did here at Colston Hall, I would say an awful lot of the large numbers of people that came to watch were coming out of a sense of they wanted to support a worthy endeavour, but they didn't expect that they would have a good time. And then of course they walked out, I think, on cloud nine because they had a bloody amazing show and that, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. It's not about therapy, it's not about giving people a chance, it's about just not being wasteful in terms of all the talent that exists in our world, many of which is in the disabled community.
0: So how are we going to be able to promote and inspire future musicians?
3: Well, the first thing we have to do is to create a bright-lit stage for such work. So we need young wannabe musicians with disabilities to come and see the power, the potency, the brilliance of the British Power Orchestra musicians, which hopefully then gives them a much-needed shot in the arm and a sense of a catalyst to further their own dreams and ambitions. Now, the problems, of course, are at grassroots level, never mind the fact that most concert halls aren't accessible for wheelchair-using musicians for a start. Um, in terms of our education system, we're incredibly backward You look at, for instance, the conservatoires, which is like at the top end of music education in our culture. There aren't even the staff that have the expertise to teach some of the assistive technology, digital instruments, which a lot of disabled people need to use to make music. There aren't even the people that have got the expertise to know how to finesse someone's talent using some kind of piece of digital kit. So there's a massive amount of education at a teacher level and a lecturer level that needs to happen.
0: Do you think it will happen?
3: I think it has to happen in the end because we need to move forward into the light. And why would we profligately miss out on potentially millions of talented people just because they make their music or they they move or they operate in a slightly different way from the rest of us? That's just, to me, is nuts and it's got to stop.
0: Thank you, Charles Hazelwood. Always a delight. I'm Harriet Robinson, and this is the Transformation Podcast for Colston Hall. We've been looking at the ambitious plans for the venue to reopen in 2020 as a truly accessible site for artists and visitors. So let's meet a musician who will benefit from these designs. I'm at Bristol Plays Music offices. This is the award-winning music hub that's responsible for driving music education forward in 90% of Bristol schools, as well as music centres across the city. The work of Bristol Plays Music forms part of the hall's creative learning and engagement programme, and I'm here to meet Charlotte Bott, who's a musician with the Resound Ensemble. So thank you for joining us, Charlotte. Can you just tell us um, what it's like to perform at Colston Hall at the moment?
2: Uh, Performing at Colston Hall is a very exciting experience, it's great atmosphere with sort of lots of support, really friendly staff. But they have to make a lot of adaptions at the moment to enable people with impairments to get onto stage. So, for example, I use an electric wheelchair. So if I'm performing there with the ensemble or whoever it may be, a ramp has to be put out and put into place for that to happen. It's not a fluid access any point, any time when the venue reopens in 2020, it will be it simultaneously
0: launch the National Centre for Inclusive Excellence. So what are your hopes for the transformed Colston Hall?
2: Well, the whole thing is it's so exciting. I've sort of never heard of a hall going to be so accessible like it is. And that's access beyond people with impairments. It's access for different types of concerts, types of rock, classical, all that type of thing, and adjusting the stage and the area accordingly. But also... Disabled people make up such a large portion of the population. Failure to include them in new plans or concert halls. is just cut your nose off to spite your face. You won't earn as much as you potentially could. It's just exciting that Bristol Pays music and Coston Hall have got the gumption and the determination to try and achieve this. And it could t- change the whole outlook of music, but also it could l- provide the opportunities to create new repertoire. Should be much more exciting than sticking to the old same things, which are lovely and have their place. But let's move on, let's evolve, as everyone else does in all areas of life.
0: What do you think are the most important considerations when it comes to removing barriers
2: to participation at all levels? That's got to start and be influenced at so many different stages of musical development. From stage one, when people are at schools, to have the opportunity to play music, to learn music independently or playing an orchestra or an ensemble to learn how to retain pieces of music all that type of thing which isn't necessarily being taught in SEND schools and then when you get to the next step up auditions have to become more accessible and allow space for people to say what their needs are and to not presume that they have to stick to the traditional audition model and they can still assess people's musical capabilities in other ways but then when you get to performance side of things, it's about supporting people with access to work funding so they can work in the music world. It's about making performance venues accessible. It's about having more people present with visible impairments so younger people can have role models to look up to. We make up a large chunk of the population that we're not represented in the workforce, we're not represented at university, We're not represented in having qualifications. We're generally in poorer paid roles. The whole question is so complex and there's so many areas that need to change to make it all work. But access to work is one big area that could change really quite easily for self-employed musicians if the government thought to do so. What do you see as the future
0: of music making in this city?
2: I think with what Colston Hall are doing, Bristol Plays Music are doing, Open Orchestras are doing and all their other partners are doing, they are opening up opportunities for a far more diverse workforce of musicians who, from very young ages, with different backgrounds, different disabilities and impairments, also playing off different instruments, not necessarily the traditional ones, which then opens up the opportunity for new repertoire, exciting new music to be made, things like that which is great and could be very exciting. The new sounds we'll begin to hear.
0: Lastly, what gets you excited about music as a musician?
2: I think it's when you uh, you know the piece and you're playing with others and you all, you've all got the piece and you're, you're in the music, you're not really thinking about anything else. You're all just 100% tuned in and it works. It may not be 100% perfect. Perfection's not always the key but it works and you're all there and you're all in the moment and you're joined by this magical string of notes and I think that's really exciting.
0: Thank you very much for talking to me. No worries. The teams running this project are going to transform Colston Hall, ensuring the regional art sector reflects and includes everyone and that the life-changing power of music excludes no one. Thanks for listening and to hear other podcasts in this series and to find out more about the transformation, please visit colstonhall.org slash transformthehall. And to join in with the discussion, please use the hashtag transformthehall.